So Money Episode 466, Mary Beth Storjahan, Financial Planner. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. You're listening to So Money, everyone. Welcome back. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Thanks so much for joining me. We have the perfect guest on today. She is a certified financial planner who specializes in millennial money management. Mary Beth Storjahan is the founder of WorkableWealth.com. She's a certified financial planner with over a decade of experience, and she is shaking up the traditional views of financial planning. She's leveraging technology to help people make smart, educated choices with their money. She's a virtual financial planner, so you can work with her from virtually anywhere, and she's quite affordable. She'll talk more about her business in a moment, but just a little bit more about Mary Beth. She was recently named among the top 40 under 40 by Investment News and 10 Young Advisors to Watch by Financial Advisor Magazine. She's a sought-after speaker, author, and financial coach, and she may sound familiar to you because she frequently appears on NBC as a financial expert and has been quoted in The Wall Street Journal, Forbes, among other major news outlets. In this interview, we're going to learn how Mary Beth is specifically helping millennials with their financial challenges, especially those who are strapped with a lot of student loan debt. We talk about her own personal relationship with money and the financial challenges she faced as a kid. And Mary Beth, on top of being an entrepreneur and a mom and a wife, she is a military spouse. And we talk about that because I think that does add another layer of financial complexity to her life and how is her family managing their own money. Here we go. Here's Mary Beth Storjahan. Mary Beth Storjahan, welcome to So Money. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes. As the founder of Workable Wealth, you work primarily with millennials. And I love that you've reinvented kind of the way to address millennial financial concerns, where there are a lot of people out there in my audience right now listening who are thinking, I would love to work with a financial advisor. But the perception is that you need to be quote unquote rich or have a lot of assets in order to qualify to work with, you know, a wealth manager. Uh, you're trying to dispel those myths in your practice. Tell us about about what you do and how you cater specifically to younger investors and families. Yeah. So I launched Workable Wealth after spending about 10 years in the financial planning industry. So I got my <laughs> I got my training wheels off while I was actually working with pre-retirees. And I got to see how things were done and learn and, and actually had a lot of experience there. And I just felt, again, like you said, there wasn't a lot of connection in terms of the younger generation. So what, what I did, I launched Workable Wealth in 2013. And the way I work with clients is it's pretty, it's the traditional kind of financial planning method, but I basically want to make sure that I bring it back to the basics for them. So with clients, we're talking about everything. We're creating a plan for them, comprehensive in terms of, you know, are you trying to buy a house? Do you have stock options at work that you don't actually understand how they work? And we can help you leverage those to maybe pay down debt or to reach some of those goals. Are we going to, you know, make sure that you're saving your 401k for retirement? Um, so basically, my clients come to me 20s, 30s, 40s, um, and they're going through some sort of life transitions. And we basically work together to create a plan. And so my clients all get basically a 10 to 15 page financial plan that includes their net worth statement, their cash flow, recommendations on all of those areas that I mentioned. And the best thing that I do for my clients is I give them an action checklist. So that was one of the things I managed a financial planning department for a few years before I launched Workable Wealth. And I saw 
advisors and planners just, okay, here's your financial plan. Here's your fancy 30 page report. You're good to go for retirement. And there was never anybody holding them accountable to actually implementing the things they needed to do to get themselves on track. So if the problem with a one-time financial planner just, you know, handing off this document is there's no, um, there's no incentive for the client to actually get things done. There's nobody holding them accountable. So then you're either left to pick and choose what you want to do with some of the important stuff that could just, you know, life insurance and estate planning is always left to like last minute for any, like no matter what your age is. So, um, with the accountability checklist, with that checklist with clients, um, I basically created a prioritized list for them and I work with them each month. I give them three things to get done from that list. And so we're working to get their lives organized, whether it's something simple, like you want to travel the world, but you're putting it on your credit card and you're not setting aside the funds. Like let's open a separate account for you, a travel savings account. You're going to put aside money monthly and you can take those annual trips because you're going to know that you have the money set aside. So even small things like that are like moving your emergency fund to a higher interest rate savings account online. So all of those things are listed in that checklist and my clients get to basically work with me as a financial planner and an accountability coach to getting those things done. You're like a goal guru. Yeah, I really am. Like, you like I, that? I, you can take yeah. that. <laughs> I'm giving to that. you that as a gift. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I would assume that in some cases, though, you might have to turn clients away. I'm only thinking because, you know, millennials have some of them have so much student loan debt or just so much um, other kinds of debt or they're under earning that it's difficult to establish, you know, the fun goals, whether it's short term, long term. Um <laughs> What are some of the challenges you find in working with millennials, given these handicaps that some of them have? So you're right. Some of them just aren't in a place to be able to pay for advice. And so um, some of the challenges I found just from being in business now for a few years, um, everybody needs that. Everybody needs help. Everybody could use help and have affordable and accessible help. And that's when basically if I find somebody that um, needs help if they're, you know, in tons of credit card debt or student loan debt, or they're really just trying to get started with their savings or how to pick their 401k investments. And when somebody reaches out to me, what I've done in my business, I actually have an email that I send out, send back to people who need help in one specific area that points them in a ton of different directions in terms of like online resources, not a ton, but I give them like five to 10 resources they can use online to basically begin to enhance their own financial education. So just by even people listening to your podcast, they're enhancing their financial education that way. So I always so encourage I'm on people the list. to reach out. You're on your list. You're on the list. <laughs> what other resources? I'm curious. Um, so there's like, so XYPN. So for example, I don't do um, individual one-off sessions anymore just because my business has grown. But if somebody's looking for like a one-time consult, I'll direct them back to the XY Planning Network. Um, they can typically find an advisor there who will do something like a focus session, which is the one-time session for a couple hundred dollars. And, um, or I think it goes from like around $500. Somebody will help you figure out your student loan pay down strategy specifically. Um, so I'll direct them back to XYPN. I um, have a couple of other coaches who will do just cash flow planning only, um, and debt pay down strategies. So if somebody's pretty in, in that early basics, that basic stage, um, I'll point them there. I also direct them to my book now, Work Your Wealth, that came out this year, um, your podcast, um, Stacking Benjamin's podcast, um, and then some blog posts that I have online, depending on what the topic is. How much do you cost? Um, so my fees right now, they start at minimum 1500 up front and 167 a month. That's like the low range. And the 1500 up front, is that to get the plan? Yeah, that's like the onboarding fee, basically. And then investments is on top of that too. Investment management is in addition to that. Yeah, tell us a little bit about the investment management portion. That's also uh, kind of redesigned to cater more to the millennials that want to save money. Yeah, so investment management. So the thing is, a lot of people are like, oh, I just need help with my 
IRA that has $15,000 in it. And unfortunately, so I only do investment management for people who are also doing financial planning because it's basically part of the whole package. But the investment management portion, um, I partner with Betterment Institutional. So the interesting thing that I'm sure you've heard in the industry right now is um, that robo-advisors are going to replace financial planners, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. Um, I think they're great in terms of partnership, though, and allowing uh, us to work together to leverage their platforms and services. So I, I partner with Betterment Institutional. And um, I charge 95 basis points, which is you know 95% of 1%. And that actually includes Betterment Instit- Betterment's fee as well for that platform. So I cover that within the fee. Um, and then basically, I link my clients' accounts up on there. And I'm able to oversee the accounts. I'm able to help them adjust the allocation on the accounts. We're able to check in on that together. We can log in. And then Betterment now also has a... Um, platform kind of like Mint, where clients can also link up their outside accounts. And together, we can view account balances, we can track net worth and ensure things that um, accounts are growing over time as well. So I really like leveraging that part of the platform with my clients also. What's the number one question you get from clients? Number one question I get from clients is how much should I be saving? Or how, do, or how do we compare to your other clients? How do we compare to other people you've talked to is probably the second most important one. So I get those ones. How much should I be saving? Do they give you some context? Like, do they understand that at least, you know, your savings is just a relative figure to whatever your goals are? And of course, there's like, you want to have about six to nine months of emergency fund. Some would say even for millennials, it's just three months because you're probably going to find a job faster than say a baby boomer in this mm-hmm. market. Um, well, what's your take on how much savings you need for an emergency savings? Well, I, I basically give the same answer. I, that's the question that I always get is how much should I be saving right now? How much should I have how, or how much should I have put away? And so I constantly have to bring it back to it really is dependent on your goals and the lifestyle that you have for yourself now, the lifestyle that you envision for yourself for the future. And then, you know, I always, I'll start with like some ballpark figures. You know, if you're in your twenties, try to save at least 10% of your net income. If you're in your thirties, try to save at least 15%. If you're just getting started, people typically just want a guidepost to know of what they should be aiming for. And, and the, the thing is, that's why you work with a financial planner, because by going through the process, then you will know how much you need to save. But when somebody asks me off the cuff, I have to give them a general number and educate them on this is why it's important to dig in because you have to really do that goal visioning for yourself and figure out the types of things you want. And that's also a big thing with millennials as well. Um, there's a lot of stress and anxiety around money. Um, feeling like you should have all these things taken care of, you know, especially with like social media. And I talk about FOMO and how social media impacts us and the way we compare ourselves and um, kind of beat ourselves up. Also, um, you know, with our finances, we look to what everybody else has and we don't actually spend the time figuring out what it is that we want for ourselves and how we can get there. You talk about FOMO. What about YOLO? You hear that a lot. Oh, too. yeah. YOLO. Yeah. <laughs> I only live once. I'm a millennial. I'm going to save later. Uh, I don't think that's uh, specific to millennials. I think it's every young generation has that mentality that, you know, I'm 25 now and I'm not going to retire until I'm like, if I ever retire, I'll be 65, 70. What's the rush? How do you relay this sense of urgency to a younger client? So actually, I think I have a blog post on my blog that's titled YOLO, so don't ignore your need for life insurance. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's dependent on your income. Um, I I try as much as I can to educate about the benefits of compound interest and what the benefits are of starting early versus delaying. And that's where a lot of um, personal story for me comes into play. Me growing up in a family that struggled financially, understanding you know what that catch up process looks like, understanding what my parents went through now that they have kids and they're trying to work, they're working multiple jobs just to put food on the table. Um, so I really try to educate the benefits of starting now. 
um, and putting that discipline in place so that you are stashing away for your future. And it's, I try, I try to curb it through the education. Education is my biggest thing, um, and making it relatable for my clients. So I think in my book, it's like, I have a a comparison chart of early Eleanor and late Lauren in terms of how they <laughs> like, you know, when they each, when each started saving and it can, you know, translates into hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I think a lot of people, um, don't necessarily see the dollar signs attached to it. They're told to start early, but they don't necessarily see like how that or understand how that can play out for them. Yeah, the numbers do not lie. And when you think about when you reverse engineer that big number, it comes to like 10, 20 bucks a day. It, you know, that I think also drives it home. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And especially, I mean, a lot of my clients from going through their cash flow and, um, and even it's just like being more strategic with where you're putting your money too. So <clears throat> you want to pay down debt first, but if you can afford to like put more into your 401k, if you get a raise, you know, if you get a raise, it's a 5% raise, like bump up your 401k contribution as well. Like don't just assume that that's going to automatically increase because you're raised. Like you should also like, you have to keep an eye on lifestyle inflation and those things. So it's important to, you know, bump up your savings over time also. Yeah. Put your money to work. Mm-hmm. You mentioned a little bit of uh, your personal background. Tell us a little bit about, you know, your childhood and your earliest memories of money. You had said that, you know, money was a bit of a struggle growing up. So what did you learn about money as you were being raised? So, um, the interesting thing for me, and so even starting my own business, it was so interesting because it, it played such a, it's played such a big part. My money history plays such a big part of why I'm passionate about what I am passionate about and how I got to where I am. But it was also very sensitive to it because, um, I'm, I'm growing up in a full, full Italian household. Family is very important. And I just never wanted my, to discount the work that my parents did put in for me. But I will say my parents, my parents struggled financially growing up while I was growing up. Um, you know, it was interesting. One of the questions is always, you know, what's your earliest memory? And I, and I constantly go back to this memory and it sticks out in my head because it was such like an impactful moment for me. Um, I remember when I was, um, eight years old coming home from school one day and we lived in a two story home. I could hear my parents fighting upstairs and they were fighting about money. And my dad was yelling at my mom about, you know, buying clothes for us for school or something. And we never really like bought, like, you know, my mom didn't really buy us. We shopped at Payless for shoes. It was not like we were like going out designer label shopping. My mom was doing what she thought was right. She was trying to provide for us and she was paying certain bills. Um, comes to find out there were certain bills that weren't being paid. And my parents basically were in the midst of almost losing the house, um, bankruptcy, all of these things. I remember eight years old, just hearing these fights about like where money was being allocated. And, um, it was then that I realized like, Oh no, we don't have enough. Like we, we don't have enough. Um, and it kind of stuck with me through, through, um, growing up, my parents worked so hard. My dad worked multiple jobs at some points in time. And I, I mean, he will do anything for family as well, but they just didn't have the money education. My family didn't have the financial education in terms of when to begin saving, how to save, how to budget. It just wasn't there for them. And I kind of took the opposite route. I worked since I was 15. I got my first job and I've worked like through school, through high school ever since. Um, and I had to work to pay my own way through college. And even then, like I was very stressed about money. I, even like, I remember turning eight, like 18, 16, my parents were actually getting me a car. Like for one of my gifts, I was getting good grades and they were getting me a car and I'm at the dealership. It strikes me at the dealership that if my parents are buying me a car and I kind of already know they don't have a lot like money, like, but somehow this car is happening and I'm like, Oh crap, you're not going to have any money for me to go to college, are you? I remember coming to this realization at the dealership. Um, my parents were not impressed with me. Um, they were doing I'm impressed something with that, you. Yeah, right. And so, uh, but they were like, you know, they thought I was like, you know, kind of, they were, they were trying to do something nice for me. And in their mind, they, and they were doing something nice for me. It was just like, it was pr- such priorities, different priorities. Um, so I grew up actually 
having that um, bag lady syndrome that you hear about in our industry that there will never be enough. There's never going to be enough. I'm going to end up on the street. Like there's there's no enough number. Um, And it it wasn't until I was in um, college my sophomore year is when I landed a job in the financial planning industry. and, And that actually shifted my perspective that I saw, okay, like there is this whole industry. And I like, it was a fluke that I got this. I was a receptionist in the financial planning firm. I just happened to be looking for a job. And I, but I began to see I was front and center for like this world of like these clients coming in with all of this anxiety and um, they'd meet with these financial planners who were actual financial planners who, you know, did all, all of the comprehensive stuff and they would leave with the plan in place. And I got to see how these guys were helping these um, people get organized around their finances. And I was like, oh, like, oh, like this is what I should be doing. Like there's this whole world. And, and that was kind of it for me. And I switched, but even now, my husband's always like, what's your enough? What's enough? And we hired our own financial planner for ourselves last year when I got, when I got pregnant and was launching business and everything. I was like, we need like our own like outside perspective. So that's been like one of the best things for us as well. And I understand you're a military spouse as well. Yeah. So, so my, that adds yeah, another layer of complexity. Another layer. Yeah. He, um, my husband, it was the funniest thing. We decided I would launch Workable Wealth while he was like floating in the middle of an ocean on deployment in 2013. Um, and so I basically, which was actually really interesting. We decided to do this. I kind of had, was left alone with my own thoughts for a couple months to like work this out. We decided I would launch. I launched in 2013. And then um, when he came back, he, his contract was actually up and um, it was basically the option or was coming up and it was the option of he was either going to stay in and be deployed again and we knew it. Or, you know, he was going to transition out, we were going to start our family and he wanted, he really wanted to be around to, you know, he didn't want to be deployed a lot. He made that decision. So he transitioned out like right after I started my business. So it was a very hectic time for us. Um, but yeah, so he, um, did reserves and so we, um, he was an officer in the military helicopter pilot for 10 years. Um, so that's been, that was a whole nother financial transition. You want to talk about changes. We also went through IVF at the same time too. Oh so my you gosh. crazy stuff happening. It so was, you had a lot of personal experience to, to glean from for your clients, yeah. your clients. Oh yeah. Which is the interesting thing too, that people always, are, uh, people are like, well, what kind of planning do millennials even need? What kind of planning do young people even need? Like, okay, well look, look, we changed jobs, started a business, had to pay for fertility treatments, like moved. We bought a house last year. Like those are all, those are things that people need a financial planner for. Yeah. Um, you walk the walk and you talk the talk. Yeah. We all work hard and we deserve a good night's sleep. I've told you about the Casper mattress before. It's the Mattress Time magazine named one of the best inventions of 2015. Casper is something new to the mattress industry, a brand sold directly to consumers. What does that mean for you? It means you can get the Casper, an obsessively engineered mattress that's made in America at a shockingly fair price. And it's comfortable. Casper combines springy latex and supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. And Casper ships directly to you for free in the U.S. and Canada. Returns are free, too. They make it really easy to try the Casper. You can try for 100 nights risk-free in your own home. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund everything. If you go to casper.com slash so money and use my code so money, you'll even get $50 off any mattress purchase. So rest easy and try Casper today for 100 nights in your own home and get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash so money and using my code so money. Okay. So between the IVF and your husband getting deployed and starting the business and having the baby, (laughs) um, what was the biggest financial challenge? Maybe it was even not successful. You know, like we talk about failure on this show as a means to 
enlighten our listeners about, you know, what not to do yeah. uh, or, you know, how things could have been handled differently. What would you say in your personal life, your personal financial life was a money mistake? Uh, I wouldn't say everything we went through last year. Um, I wouldn't say any of those were money mistakes per se. I think, I think the biggest like misstep we've, we've done, if, if we've, if we've done like a misstep in like the past few years, I've, I've made money mistakes in the past. We can, we can talk about those ones. Um, I'd say in the past few years though, um, we were always, I was always big on saving because going back to like that, like a, you know, bag lady syndrome thing, it's like some, a squirreler, I'll squirrel away things. Um, I think it was, um, things just got moved around quite a lot. Like we had, we had savings, but it was like, well, let's use it for this. Let's use it for that. And, and our goals just got so out of whack because we were doing so much at one time. So I'd say our biggest mistake was just like not, not going back to like, here are our top few things that are, you know, that we want to accomplish. And here's why these things are important to us. Like we ripped the bandaid off and did it all at once. And it was such a stressful time. It was, it was so stressful in terms of like, um, trying to prep him, you know, it wasn't even financial, but like him going through that transition out of the military, he went to the Naval Academy as well. In addition to that. So you talk about really having to start over to like find your career, get comfortable networking, be able to promote yourself and and not be, not have somebody else dictating your path. Like that was an incredible challenge for him, for our marriage, for, um, you know, the finances, giving up, crunching those numbers. And, you know, he was a Texas state resident before, and now we went to California. Like we just lost 10% of our income right off the bat. Mm. So I think it was not being clear on priorities was the mistake, but um, that was probably it in terms of like it, the stress and anxiety that it caused us that it didn't necessarily, if we had taken the time to like breathe and like re like connect to like those things that are important to us. Do you think that part of why you did things so many, so many things simultaneously was that there, there was like a fear of time running out or and why do you think you felt the need to do everything like that at once? Um, I think, I think part of it was like fate in terms of things piling up. It was like a matter of, do we want him to deploy again right now? Or does, since he has the option, does he just get out? And it was like, all right, well, you're going to get out. So that was kind of like, we did, we did, hadn't expected that. So that one was a surprise. I think the IVF one, especially fertility treatments, that's like a whole other thing we could talk about, but that is something where, um, when I've written about this too, you do, once you decide you want to have a baby and then you find out like you can't have a baby naturally, like stuff gets real because then that's when you start to see that everybody else has a baby and you don't have a baby. Right. And like we've been there. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, um, we totally could have waited and we had already waited a year and then we started fertility treatments. And so I think, I think it was, that was like a, we were going to make it happen. We just chose like, because it, it felt so much, it felt so bad not to have a baby. Yeah, I know. And they say it's never a quote unquote perfect time to have a child. You can always yeah. think of a million things that are going to yeah. uh, be hard to juggle once the kid arrives, but you yeah. will never regret exactly. <laughs> having I think a it, child. I think it, I think it was like wanting to have all of the boxes checked and like wanting to have certain things done by certain points in time, which like, and me being, and I almost to my detriment of like being a planner, I was like, well, we have to have all of these things in place ahead of time. And I'm also trying to run a business. And, and that was actually, that's why I said getting the financial planner once I did get pregnant. And then we were like moving and doing these things Us hiring our own financial planner was so great because, you know, I also felt the pressure to run things in our household and, you know, I'm the financial planner. I should be running everything. Um, so when a financial planner hires a financial planner, what are the <laughs> yeah. questions that you ask to be uh, sure that this person is going to be the best fit for you and your family? I was very like particular about who I wanted to work with and what kind of skill level and personality they had to have. 
Um, it very much looked at, I looked to their experience and they had to have, they had to have at least been in the industry longer than I have. I don't want to work with anybody that was, you know, I've been in the industry for 10 years or 12 years now. Um, I don't want to work with anybody else who, you know, who wasn't as experienced, if not more so experienced than I was. Um, I also wanted to know that they were kind of in similar life stages. So I, you know, were they part of a big firm, a small firm? Did they have their own firm? Um, and then, you know, also like their life experience where, you know, those things, those things do matter. You want, you know, for me, I didn't want to work with an older white man, because that's just not anybody who personally relates, relates to me. So working, we, we chose a financial planner who is in his late thirties, who also has two young kids at home, who's very much about living your best life. Um, and I really respect him. He was, he's a few years further along than me in his career, but I really respect the way he works with clients. Um, I really enjoy, like he has a different model than me, but I basically, I looked for somebody that I could, I would respect his opinion. And I also respect the way he runs his business. So, um, so that was kind of what I looked for just in terms of their experience level and where he was at in his life stages and knowing that he was, you know, beyond me, but not too far beyond me was, is helpful and comforting and, and seeing, and when we had the interaction, knowing that he spent as much time talking to me as he did talking to my husband Mm. was so important. So just that initial interview, I mean, he made sure, um, their interaction was great and he took things off my plate that I felt I had to explain and he would jump in and he didn't necessarily always side with me, um, which was good too. I wanted to have that person who would kind of debate me as well, because again, I'm really, I can be a little bit, you know, this is how things should be. So, you don't want a yes man or a yes I don't woman. Want a, yeah, no. exactly. Yeah. And I, and so it was, we were very particular. We went through like three or four, um, different interviews after, you know, that was after I scouted out people online as well. Very good to know. And it doesn't concern you that his model is different than yours? No, it's not. It's not um, AUM. He has a retainer model as well, just a little bit different than mine. But it doesn't concern me as, at all because I know I'm, I'm, we're still getting that full comprehensive financial planning advice and he's still providing a ton of value in that area. Um, and I think the fee is the fee is very, um, I think it's competitive. It's, it's, it's totally on par with the services he's providing. So I, I didn't have any issue with that. You have a perspective, an insider's perspective on the financial advising industry. And I'm curious to get your opinion on where you think the the weaknesses are. I think that what you're doing is very much the future. You might even be a little ahead of your time. There's a resistance still in the wealth management world to um, think that millennials are just not ready for it. We don't, you know, if you're managing... I, I get it though. If you're, if you're an advisor and you've got a hundred clients and they're all you know, making millions of dollars, you're not going to try to suddenly market yourself to a millennial. You're doing mm-hmm. fine. But at the same time, millennials, just by the numbers, we're a force to be reckoned with. Like right. <laughs> it would, it would, you know, behoove any financial advisor to recognize that and to maybe cater to that. So where do you see some of the pitfalls or the, the, the shifts that have yet to happen? So just on that, on that first point or the last point you made, um, I always say that it's so interesting to me that people think that, you know, millennials don't need help and it's not a profitable business. And many of the um, advisors who are now working with those who have their hundreds of millions of dollars forget that they actually got their start in the industry by selling life insurance to their clients. You know, they were, you know, touting a product and that's how they, you know, became financial planners themselves. And so I always say, you know, bring it back to, you know, we're not selling life insurance. We're actually providing a needed service to these clients, to these millennials to our peers. And, you know, our hope is we're going to build those relationships and they're going to grow with us over time into those situations as well. So, you know, all we're doing is going about building our practices in a much more ethical way um, on that note. So um, I also think just in terms of the weaknesses, though, I think the um, the lack of technology, I think, is a, is a big thing. It's very archaic, um, even coming from, you know, I 
I love the firms that I worked at before I launched Workable Wealth. I learned quite a lot. Um, but it did seem that there, it was always, you know, printing out and depending on like, well, this report says that you're going to have $20 million when you retire. So you're good to go or whatever. So I think the dependency on the 30 page reports, um, you know, and the mahogany desks, the very, everything is very formal. I think that is, um, that needs to be done away with. I have clients all across the country. I'm based in San Diego. I have clients from here to New York and many states in between um, that I can work with from the comfort of like, you know, from my office and they can be on their couch. And I think it's, and people say it's not professional enough and it's, you know, it's actually inhibits the relationship, but I have to defer. We have to disagree because I get to see my clients' homes. I get to see their kids. I get to see them interact with their kids in the background. I actually, it's a more intimate um, thing with my clients by getting to use the technology. Um, I also see, and this is across the board. I mean, I, I do things the way I do, and I'm so passionate about education with my clients because I see the way things are explained in terms of, you know, and eyes glazed over in terms of, you know, financial planners presenting financial plans, going through the numbers. And I can't tell you how many times I either saw like the man only talked to in the couple. Um, and like the woman, like just, you could Yuck. see she was nodding her head and like didn't understand. And it was just so frustrating to me. Like you can see these people are not invested and you're just like talking to make yourself feel smart. Um, I think that is one of the things like people are calling BS now people, you know, you have with technology, you can find somebody you you don't have to work with somebody in your, you're not just limited to your little city. You can work with whoever meets your personality needs, meets your needs. Um, and so I think that's one of the changes as well that the companies need to get on board with. They need to realize that, you know, it doesn't matter like how many reports you push at somebody or how you explain something. If your clients are not invested in you, if they're not sharing their personal lives with you, if you're not helping them and, you know, to negotiate their salaries or to, you know, talk about, you know, if they should fund, you know, their kids college education or to make sure they're on track for retirement, whatever these things are, like the life planning is not as big in firms right now as it should be. And that's where our younger generation of financial planners, we're making it so much more about that life planning. We're basically helping our clients to navigate those things that, I've never, you know, I help my clients negotiate salaries. I help my clients start businesses. I have never seen any, like in my previous terms, I never saw a financial planner do that. If so, you're, I, those mahogany desks, by the way, if oh you're wondering gosh. where the fee is going, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I had to walk out of a couple interviews with financial advisors. Um, the whole time they were just pitching me their Excel spreadsheets and the, you know, the projections they were making about their, you know, stock picks. And I'm like, hi, have we met? You know, I am not interested in that, in that deck. Um, have you asked me any questions? So I think you're right. Um, maybe that worked in our parents' generation. That was a different model. It worked, but yeah, you got to get with the times. Yeah. I had a, a a reader or actually a listener write in and ask me, you know, I'm starting a business or maybe he was a year or two into his business. He wanted to know if it was appropriate to work with just a financial advisor to help him with his business and his personal finances, or does he need more than one person? I suggested a CPA as well. Yeah, I would have suggested a CPA. Um, a CPA is the other person you need on staff or, you know, on like retainer or whatever. And then also a bookkeeper. Um, working with a lot of, I work with a lot of female entrepreneur clients. And I will say, um, I say, if you're launching a business or if you're in your business and you're not looking at your books, like you need to be. And if you know you're not going to be, like you better budget for a bookkeeper um, because that bookkeeper is going to ensure that your CPA can actually do their job. Um, and then, yeah, I work with, um, and then as a financial planner, one of my clients referred to me as a rent a CFO the other day. So which <laughs> I think is also, I was like, that's good. That's good. That's good to know that you can yeah. do that as well. 
Um, so I, I, I think how you, you need to have an accountant on staff, definitely. So um, in working with entrepreneurs, a CPA and a financial planner should be able to get the job done. Um, and then some sort of bookkeeper, bookkeeper person who's at least going to keep your stuff organized for you. Right. All right. Let's do some so many fill in the blanks, Mary Beth. This is when I start a sentence and you finish it. The first thing that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. If I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say $100 million, the first thing I would do is? Buy a vineyard in Italy. Nice. And you would just move there or you would just have it managed, outsourced? I probably live there like half the year. <laughs> Fabulous. When I splurge, the one thing I like to spend on is? Ooh, uh, sunglasses. Really? It's just like, like it's between I know. Like nails and manicures, but it's like those are my, and they're not even like, yeah, I just, I actually, like I wouldn't the say designer I splurge. Ones, like the they're not even designer. I just okay. like to buy, I collect them. Okay. I think they call the funky ones. I wouldn't say it's even a splurge. So it's just like my thing to buy is funky sunglasses. I can't be trusted with sunglasses. I lose no, I them. Lose I them. drop them. Yeah. I, you know, and, and once every five, six years, I'll splurge on like yeah. a designer pair. Same. Yep. Same here. And same then here. I'll lose it six months yeah. later. It's I was just, a black it, pair I was old Navy. So I will say Yeah. That. All right. One thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better is? Um, a house cleaner. Amen to that. Yeah. When I donate, I like to give to blank because? Military charities, because they've had such an impact in our life and protecting yeah. our freedom. And I could go on and on and on. <laughs> when I was growing up, the one thing I wish I had learned about money is? Oh, it doesn't have to be scary. And last but not least, I'm Mary Beth Storjahan. I'm so money because? Because I help clients all around the world control their money. I love that. We didn't even bring that up. All around the world, you are virtual. Whether you're abroad or in the States, Mary Beth can be at your service, workablewealth.com. Thank you so much for joining. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Mary Beth, her website, once again, workablewealth.com. She's also on Twitter at Mary B S T O R J storage. If you missed any of this, want to grab the transcript, download the audio, or leave a comment, go to somoneypodcast.com. And while you're there, if you've got a question for me, click on Ask Farnoosh and I will enter it into the Friday episode mailbag. Every Friday, I answer your money questions on Ask Farnoosh. Thanks a lot for tuning in, guys and gals. Hope your day is so money. Money.